Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you, and wonderful to be in your company today, this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in the Highfelt. Nice and warm it has been the last few days, and uh, certainly reminding us that it is still very much summer in Joburg, albeit that we are already, believe it or not, headlong into the month of February. This year is truly flying by, and I suppose it does that when you're busy, when you're having fun, when you're doing good things, when there are good things happening around, and please God, there should be so much good and so many good things that um, we literally don't know quite where to turn. Well, I kind of feel like that a little bit today in Judaism 101.9 because there is really so much to talk about. And uh, perhaps I thought of doing something a little bit novel today, and that's uh, doing things in reverse order. Let's talk about the uh, week ahead. And when we talk about the week ahead, I always think about from Wednesday to Wednesday on the show because um, that's what we've got to try and cover. And the week ahead incorporates a very special hug, which happens to be on Monday of next week. Guess what it is? It is... To Bishvat, Chamish Asa Bishvat. And let's think about, and we'll chat a little bit about what that special festival is all about and what it is meant to mean to us. Then, of course, we have a very special Shabbos coming up, the Shabbos of the Shira, Shirat Hayam. It's called Shabbat Shira. We have a special Shabbos of uh, song, special Shabbos of Exodus, and all the things that that represents coming up on this Shabbat. And then let's move forward in the calendar, in other words, towards this date. And, of course, today is a very, very significant date. It is the 10th day in the month of Shvat. Yes, of course, if Monday is the 15th, today is the 10th and the 10th day of Shvat, otherwise known as Yud Shvat, has a number of Great and incredible significances, and hopefully we'll be able to explore some of those and think about some of the real messages of Yudshvat and what we should be thinking about doing and um, sort of uh, getting ourselves into the headspace of what this special date is really all about. But as I said, let's start at the end. Let's go to next week, Monday, Hamisha Osir Bishvat, the 15th day in the month of Shvat. Now, first up, I'm sure that many people have noticed that many of our great Jewish festivals take place in the middle of the Jewish month. It is not a, 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 a at all unusual for us to be talking about the 15th of the month. We can think of at least four uh, special months that have significant festivals, Hagim, occasions that occur on the 15th, in the middle of the month. We only have to think of Purim. We think of Pesach. We think of uh, Sukkot. <coughs> we think of the 15th of Shvat. We think of the 15th of Av. Well, there we've just mentioned five, and there are possibly even more, where the 15th, the middle of the month, is significant and plays a significant role. And perhaps it's got something to do with the fact that the moon is full. When the time of a full moon, which it will be, of course, on this coming Monday, on the 15th of the Jewish calendar month, because we do go by the moon for our months, on the 15th we've got a bright light in a dark sky. The brightness 
of light overruling darkness is perhaps what all of these 15ths actually represent. We know that uh, when Hashem created the world, He created the luminaries of the daytime and the luminaries of the night, or the luminary of the day and the luminary of the night. He created the sun and the moon. Originally, they were supposed to be supposedly exactly the same um, in power, in strength. The moon, more humble, was made smaller, and it was the light in the darkness, and it became kind of representative of the Jewish people in a big way because the Jewish people also are meant to be a light in a dark environment. We're supposed to light up the darkness, much like our story of Hanukkah or our Shabbat candles and so on. The idea of lighting up the darkness, and this is what the moon perhaps represents, and particularly when it's at its fullest, it kind of shows the dominance of our spiritual light over the negativity of an otherwise dark world. And if we think about the concept, therefore, of the 15th being the middle of the month where the moon is full, it has a special significance and power for us all. But we're told that the 15th of this month of Shvat, Tubi Shvat, is the day of the new year for the trees. Now, many people celebrate this by thinking that, well, we've got to go out and plant trees. Well, that's not really the way that Tu Bishvat, Bishvat, is meant to be celebrated. We celebrate it predominantly, if you take a look in good Jewish tradition, it's with eating fruit, and particularly the fruits with which Israel was blessed. The dates, the figs, the grapes, um, and so on, Israel's special fruits that it was blessed with, and we make a bracha, we make a blessing, we praising the fruit. Well, what is the 15th of Shvat really all about, if we think about it? It has got to do with the blessings of this year. You know, this year is full of brachas. We got all our blessings, supposedly, in a package deal that we received on Rosh Hashanah, which was now four and a half months ago, four and a half months away. And we um, think about the way that our sages have taught us that scientifically, if one waters a tree, the fruit will show the first benefit of the water from the watering of the tree or the fruits that have grown on the tree will be the fruits of that water after four months. It takes four months for that process to develop. And since we only really start thinking about the blessing of water, and we know that the allocation of water starts on the 15th of Tishrei, which is Sukkot, we actually have four months later the 15th of Shvat. And so when they had to decide if the fruit had to be tithed for this year or for the following year, the cutoff date was the 15th of Shvat, because... We could then safely say that the up until the 15th of Shvat, the blessing is still from last year. From the 15th of Shvat onwards, this is clearly blessings from this year. And therefore, it went into a different tax bracket when it came to the donations of the fruit in, the, in temple times. And so, therefore, the way that we celebrate it today, of course, we don't say penitential prayers. It's like a semi-festival. There are certain uh, things that are left out of our daily prayers, tachanun and so on. Um, but the significant celebration that we have is to taste the beautiful fruit that God blessed us with, the beautiful things that Hashem gave us to eat and to think about and to uh, contemplate 
as well as the beautiful blessings of the fruits of our labors. In other words, the mitzvot and the wonderful things that we can do to make this world a much brighter place. And this is, of course, the significance of this special date of the 15th of Shvat, Chamisha Shvat. Many people would possibly want to know where does the name Tu come from? Why is it called Tu Bishvat? Why do people refer to it as Tu Bishvat? Well, here in a way we have a very beautiful message in this as well. And that is that, you know, when we number days or we number pages or you're counting in Hebrew, we know that we have Aleph and Bet and Gimel and Dalet and hey, the letters are actually numbers as well. One, two, three, four, and all the way up to ten. Ten is Yud. When you get to eleven, it's Yud Aleph. When you get to twelve, it's Yud Bet. When you get to fifteen, now that should be a Yud, and it should be followed by the letter Hey, but that would spell Hashem's name. And we don't want to have Hashem's name just being relegated to the realms of being a number, or just a a, a number on the bottom of a page or whatever, that that then um, is so limiting, or by, for that matter, if we get to a yud and the following letter, a vav, which would also spell a name of God, we therefore substitute those letters with other letters, you know, 10 plus 5, which is yud, and the letter hey, added together makes 15, but so does 9 plus 6, and 9 plus 6 making 15 is exactly what 2 is, 2 Bishvat, or Tu Ba'av, is the 15th. Tet, the letter Tet is 9. The letter Vav is 6. 9 plus 6 is 15. But in a way, we actually then are paying real homage to God and to godliness. Because we're saying, God has told, told us not to take his name in vain. And we're, by <coughs> keeping to this commandment, we are keeping away from just mentioning the letters of God's name as a number. And so behind that two, that tet and that vav, really is God's name. God's name, perhaps a little bit in disguise, perhaps a little bit cloaked over by the tet and the vav, but really it signifies one of God's profoundest names, the way that God comes into this world and perhaps God in nature in linking with the trees and the fruits thereof for this festival of Tu Bishvat, Chamisha Osar Bishvat, the 15th of Shvat, which is on Sunday night and Monday. So let's enjoy a beautiful Chag, a beautiful festival coming up in the early part of next week. I'll be back with you. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So from the 15th of Shvat, from Tubi Shvat, Bishvat, which is on the coming Monday, Sunday night and Monday, let's move a little bit earlier. We go to the Shabbos. This coming Shabbat is called Shabbat Shira. It is a special Shabbos because we read Parshat Beshalach, and in that Parshat Beshalach, in the book of Exodus, we're reading about the actual Exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. And at the time of the crossing of the Red Sea, of course, there was the great song of the Red Sea that was sung, something that we repeat every single day in our prayers. And we are told by our sages what great and wonderful benefits it has for us um, recognizing God and recognizing God being with us at all times and recognizing the fact that it was Hashem, it was God who took us out of Egypt and so on. We have all of that and all of that power. And it is known as the Shabbat of the song. Now, if we think about the concept, the idea of singing, per se, the idea of a song 
um, in any realm, well, we know that songs and music and so on were celebratory. It was a sign of great jubilation, of great celebration. <laughs> and in fact, that is what the Jews spontaneously did. The Jewish people spontaneously broke out in song when we reached certain brilliant and beautiful milestones, and particularly something as powerful as getting out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. And so a Shabbat of song is a Shabbos that's dedicated really to the songs that are sung for redemption, the songs of Geula, the songs of the fulfillment of the dream of being free, the dream of being free to serve God, and the dream of being able to practice our Judaism um, in every which way and in peace and in harmony and so on. And hopefully from this Shabbat of song, which really traverses the song that was sung, um, at the time that we got out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, right up until today with the songs that will be sung undoubtedly with the Geula, with the complete redemption, when Mashiach will come and we will leave this Galut, this diaspora, um, and hopefully that will be very, very, very soon. So a very special Shabbos that uh, comes up um, over this coming weekend. But let's now backtrack a little bit further and come a little bit closer and think about the significance of today. Today is Yud Shvat. Today is the 10th day in the month of Shvat. Now, the 10th day in the month of Shvat has a huge significance for uh, Chabad, Hasidim everywhere, for Hasidim in general, for the whole world, really, if we think about it honestly. A great, great deal and a great impact of what this date is really all about. Because this date is significant through a number of different people, a number of different great people who are connected with this date in a brilliant way. But also it marks something so significant for each and every one of us. So let's begin by telling you that today is the yard site of a Rebetzin by the name of Rivka. The Rebetzin Rivka was the grandmother of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. Now, when we talk about the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, we're talking about Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok Schneerson. His grandmother, and it's significant to the whole train of events with this entire story that I'm going to tell you, his grandmother passed away on Yudshvat, her yard site, Yudshvat, the 10th of Shvat. It was a date that, therefore, the previous Rebbe always acknowledged, as did his father, the son of the Rebbe Tzernrifka. They would acknowledge the date. And when looking at the day of a yard site, particularly in a, a, from a Hasidic vista, from a Hasidic view, was the fact that, yes, of course, we pay homage and tribute to the person who lived their life and who passed away on this particular date. But at the same time, we're acknowledging the great elevation of the soul of that particular person on that date because the um, passing of a person from this world into the next is regarded as an elevation in and of itself. And then 
for each year on the yard site, the soul is elevated ever higher. And particularly when we're talking about tzaddikim, when we're talking about righteous people, we believe that the elevation of their souls is immediate. And at the same time, there is the fulfillment of whatever it was that they stood for that happens on that particular day and that we celebrate in a way on that particular day. So, of course, a yard site is not something where we get up on the tables and sing and dance in celebration because at the same time we feel a loss. We are human beings and we feel the loss of that individual from our lives, the emptiness, the space. Um, and of course we would give anything to have the reality of the physical side of people being with us um, rather than to have to think about them as they have passed on to the next world. Now the rabbits and Rivka passed on on uh, Yudshvat. This was her yard site. Why that's significant is because when her grandson, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok Schneerson, when he came to America, he arrived in America in uh, March 1940, having escaped by all sorts of wonders and miracles from the Warsaw Ghetto. He was hiding out in Warsaw at the time, brought to America. He was already at that stage suffering majorly with uh, great health Issues. He had multiple sclerosis. He was confined for um, <coughs> most of the time in America, was confined to a wheelchair. He was battling to speak. He had been abused. He had been tortured. He'd really been uh, knocked about by the KGB. Um, he had even had a death penalty hanging over his head, was commuted to life imprisonment and then to exile, and eventually he was released from that imprisonment. But in the interim, great, great physical harm was caused to the Rebbe. And um, the uh, Rebbe passed away, that Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok Schneerson, previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, otherwise known as the Friedrich Rebbe, passed away. On Yutrat, he passed away actually on his grandmother's yard site. It was a Shabbat morning. It was the 10th of Shvat in 1950. So 1950. He had come to America in 1940. He'd lived just a decade in America. He had established yeshivas and a whole network of yeshivas all over America. Um, remember, it was uh, the war years and then the war and then the years that followed. And of course, there was kind of this uh, desperate struggle towards the end of his life to make sure that uh, the great uh, teachings and the great learning of Torah and uh, spread of mitzvahs and so on that had been obliterated from Eastern Europe would actually be carried on. And he set those seeds and planted those plants in order to make everything grow and flourish in America um, immediately upon his arrival. Uh, the story has it that he uh, founded the first yeshiva um, on the day that he arrived. He didn't want to wait, didn't want to go to sleep at night until the yeshiva, the, they put into place the founding of the first Chabad yeshiva in America um, on that date in 1940. Now, if we think about um, this great man and all the things that he had suffered, in fact, um, passing away on his grandmother's yard site takes on another significance. And that is that um, the Rebbe, unfortunately, was unable to speak for um, and publicly address anybody for uh, several years um, leading up to 1950. And so for each special occasion, he would issue a Hasidic discourse, which he wrote. 
of course, his writing and ability to um, uh, to transpose and transcribe whatever he had on, on his mind and the things that he was learning and studying was okay. It was the speech that was affected. He had been uh, damaged um, in his vocal cords and the throat and so on. And the ability to give it over was still there, and he did uh, just that for each special occasion, and not the least of which was for his grandmother's yard site for Yutzvat in the days leading up to it, he penned um, a mimer, a mimer being a Hasidic discourse, deep Hasidic philosophy. And it was titled Bosi Lagani or Bati Lagani, taken from the words of Shira Shirim, the Song of Songs. It says there, I come into my garden, I came into my garden, my sister, my bride. We're talking, of course, in the uh, an analogy, the metaphor of God and the Jewish people, of two people in love, um, and how God woos his bride and speaks to his bride, him and the Jewish people. This is what King Solomon painted into the story of Shira Shirim, the Song of Songs. And here he penned a Hasidic discourse on Come into my garden, or I came into my garden, my sister, my bride. We're talking about this um, little statement that is made in the Shira Shirim, and he expounded upon it. And what does it actually mean? And kind of encapsulated within that sentence and an explanation of it all, he encapsulated really the mission of God in this world, so to speak. What? Was it that God wanted to accomplish in this world? And how can we be of assistance? What is there for us to actually do to assist God to fulfill what he really created this world for? Now we've got to remember that the world began in a garden. And of course, we're borrowing on that image. But he also explains how from uh, uh, from the time of Adam and Eve, God's Shekhinah, the holiness that God had implanted into that garden, had to be withdrawn. It was removed from there through the sins of man as man began sinning immediately. Um, the space, spiritual space that God wanted to occupy with his Shekhinah, with his uh, godly presence, was slightly removed and then slightly more removed and so on. Until eventually it was at its furthest distance away, so to speak, if we can talk about these things in terms of distance until Abraham came onto the scene and when Avram Avinu Abraham our forefather came onto the scene him and all the following generations brought God into this world that was the mission of Avram Avinu of Abraham and then of Isaac and then of Jacob and then of Joseph and so on all the way down to the seventh generation which was Moshe Rabbeinu Moses until we stood at Mount Sinai we received the Torah and until we were given the instruction with uh, Moshe Rabbeinu at our helm, to build a mishkan, to build a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle to bring godliness into the world so that God says, so that I can dwell in amongst you all, not going to be confined just to that tabernacle, but I can dwell within the world and within each and every facet of this world. Now, the Rebbe passing away on Yuchvat in uh, 1950 meant that there was this huge void at the helm of uh, Chabad, Hasidim, um, not only in America, but all over the world, wherever they existed. <coughs> and the uh, Rebbe did not really leave clear instructions as, should, as to who should be his successor, and he only had daughters, and so... 
it uh, seemed to be that um, the obvious successor was his son-in-law, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, our Rebbe, who was then going to uh, succeed him. However, the Rebbe didn't want this position, A, from a point of view of humility, B, he always regarded his father-in-law as the Rebbe. How could you actually step into those shoes? And it actually took a full year of persuasion, of working, of uh, tireless efforts on behalf of so many people to bring the Rebbe to recognize that the Hasidim, that the followers wanted him to be Rebbe and to enable him to actually take over, so to speak, the leadership of the Chabad Hasidic movement, which happened, and the Rebbe only acceded to it, on Yudshvat, on this day, in 1951, a full year later, on the previous Rebbe's yard site, the Rebbe didn't proclaim himself as Rebbe, that would be wrong to say, but it happened that the Rebbe used the words of his father-in-law, this Bosi Lagania, Kala, the idea of I came into the garden, my sister, my bride, borrowed from Shira Shirim and expounding upon what it was that the, his father-in-law had said and then taking upon himself the um, leadership of the organization in lieu of his father-in-law. I can tell you as a Bocher, as a young man who studied in yeshiva and heard the Rebbe speaking so often, the Rebbe always referred to his father-in-law as the Rebbe, albeit that his father-in-law had passed on in 1950 to the Rebbe. The father, his father-in-law was always the Rebbe. He was a mamala mokham. He was uh, fulfilling a role as his father-in-law's emissary, so to speak. He was just filling his space. That was part of the greatness of the Rebbe, his great, incredible humility. And each year on Yudshvat, when the Rebbe had a fabrengen, a gathering together, an assembly of his chassidim, of his followers, he would equally say a mimer. He would say a chassidic discourse headed the same, with these same prophetic words that his father-in-law had left us with. He would expound upon a different facet of that particular Hasidic discourse each and every year um, at his Fabrengens. So this year, we're marking 70 years since 1950. Yes, from 1950 to 2020 is 70 years. It has been 70 years since the previous rabbi passed on, and it has been 70 years since we have had the leadership, the instruction, the inspiration, and the commitment from the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, to each and every one of us to fulfill what it was that he said, his Rebbe, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, his father-in-law, stood for and taught us and wanted us to do. Be back with you right after that. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So the Rebbe's explained in this mimer, in this Hasidic discourse of that the concept of a gun, of a garden, really is our world, euphemism for our world. And God wants to come into this world, and he wants to be in the world in the most powerful way, which is really starting from the bottom up, not from the top down. God uh, wanted to be immersed and wanted to be found and wanted to be elevated from and within each and every facet of this world, even down to the very lowest of the low. And, of course, this is the lowest of all spiritual worlds. 
And that idea and that ideal is something that we can certainly assist with, we can certainly help with. And the Rebbe painted this picture, the concept of God's Shechina, his holy presence, being removed step by step from the time of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve and so on, being brought back gradually step by step through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then all the way through to Moshe Rabbeinu. There were seven generations. And the previous Rebbe pointed out that those seven generations up to Moses was exactly the way and the mechanism and the method by which in the seventh generation there could be the redemption. In the seventh generation there could be Torah coming to fruition. In the seventh generation could be the building of that Mishkan, of that tabernacle, of that place on earth which would epitomize God, God's presence on earth and the fact that through it God could dwell everywhere in this lowest uh, place in the universe that he had created um, and thereby elevate everything that's up and above it. But then the same thing happened in a gradual um, uh, withdrawal once again and the loss of our temples and so on. And then came the antidote later on. And the Rebbe spoke about the seven generations from the founding of Chabad Hasidism through the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi. And then he, the previous Rebbe, was the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he kind of intimated that here there was a handover to the seventh generation, that the seventh generation with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe, our Rebbe at the helm, was a generation that was now ready to welcome Mashiach, that it was now the generation following all these gradual reintegrations of the Shekhinah, of the holy presence of God into the world, right up until God was actually to be found even in certain negative things in the world, which is a uh, complete misnomer to those who try and think about things in a logical fashion. But the Rebbe concentrated and focused on the idea of even the wood that was used in the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was called shittim wood, acacia wood. That word shittim, which comes from the word shtut, which means, or shtus, which means nonsense or folly. We think about the fact that a person can only do things wrong if a spirit of folly has entered into their head. They've got something wrong. There's something that is irrational. There is something that is not a hundred percent, as we would say today, um, in their thinking. And the Rebbe pointed out that it's within that spirit of folly where we can go actually above our own rational, where we can think about things not necessarily purely in a rational way, because sometimes rationality and being too rational and being too uh, reasoned out is a little bit too cold, but to take things to the level whereby we actually have a Nonsense of holiness, a spirit of the folly of holiness. We can go way up and above and beyond and put ourselves into a much higher kind of a spiritual state than our rational minds would enable us and allow. And it's that shtus, that idea of shittim wood, that is the very essence of what God really wants to accomplish in this world. And we're in that realm. We're in that um, time and that space right now where we could, through our craziness, we could actually bring Mashiach, hopefully speedily in our time. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz.
there were certain things that the first person who started bringing godliness into this world in this way, as we have described before, um, there were certain things that he did and that he taught. And we're talking about, of course, Abraham, Avinu, Abraham, who had what we call Mesiras Nefesh. He had self-sacrifice. He gave up everything for God and for godliness. That spirit of Mesiras Nefesh has filtered through, through all of those generations and certainly all the way through to us. It's one of the things that we inherit from Avraham Avinu. And similarly, the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, had a similar Mesidas Nefesh, a similar, let's call it self-abnegation, the ability to put oneself on a side and say, you know what, the purpose of bringing godliness into this world is worth much, much more than that, kind of sacrificing your whole life uh, for that, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnir Zalman of Liandi, paralleled that and did that in a similar fashion for us um, in, in, in our world today. And so it goes with each generation, with each passing time, that um, each and every one of us is enthused with the ability to not only have that Mesiras Nefesh, not only to put ourselves aside for the greater good, but we have the ability to really, really do what it takes to be a little crazy, to be a little bit... Um, to be a little bit above our own simple, natural, rational selves and to get into the realm of doing things that are above our understanding, of doing things that supersede us in a way and reaching out to really try and bring heaven into our earthly existence, to make our world a more spiritual place. And if we can continue to do that, will perhaps have just a very small flavor, a very small taste about what this Yud Shvat experience is really all about. What the Lubavitcher Rebbe's stood for and what the, our Rebbe stood for really was to try and make this world the perfect place for Mashiach to come to, to try and reach out and bring together Jews from all over the world and make everybody absolutely equal and united and together and to change the minds, the hearts, and the souls of people everywhere, to reach out with acts of kindness, with acts of goodness, with uh, really one single agenda, and that's how do we get this world ready for the speedy arrival of Mashiach. We're in that seventh generation. We have that power. We have the enthusiasm that was put into us by the previous rabbi, by the rabbi and all of the rabbis who went before, and then all the way back, of course, to Moshe Rabbeinu and to Avram Avinu, to Abraham, our forefather, right in the beginning. We have that power. We have that strength. It's our job. It's our goal. It's something we should try and do. So let's learn a little bit more today, and from here on in, let's be a little bit nicer, a little bit kinder from here on in. Let's take upon ourselves some... Uh, other mitzvah, if it's possible, or elaborate to a, a mitzvah that we're doing already just a little bit better, because in that way we will be leading into and we will be assisting in bringing the Shechina, bringing that godly presence back into this world, and please God ultimately helping one step at a time, one mitzvah at a time with the arrival of Mashiach now. I want to wish you a great Shabbat up ahead, a great rest of the week, great Chamisha Osa Bishvat, Tu Bishvat, and of course today, a great Yud Shvat, and hopefully we can accomplish what we set out to, and that is bringing Mashiach today. I want to wish you well, and look forward to seeing you again, same time, same place, next week, please God, on Judaism 101.9.